Thank you, Tom. Well, thank you so much for the uh, warm welcome uh, for me and my wife, Celine. Uh, it's really a privilege to get to worship with you this morning. Uh, it's been a while since we have been to Grace. I was speaking with Tristan, and I think it's been a little over two years, actually. So uh, it's great to be back. Uh, our reading this morning is printed in your bulletin and is also found on page 878 in your Bibles and the pews. And it comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He, Jesus Christ, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the Word of God. Now one of the great things about the Bible is uh, that we get to learn so much about who Jesus is. And not just through his teachings or his parables, but also through uh, his interactions and his relationships with those around him how he talks to people, how he treats them. Throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, uh, we get to see how Jesus treats everyone in a society from those in power to the weakest in his community. And in every community, we see the truth and the love of Jesus on full display in those interactions. Though these kinds of experience are discussed throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, uh, the book of Luke is especially noteworthy because of its exploration of different classes and different types of people, all with the emphasis of Jesus seeking and saving those who are lost. And in this morning's passage here in Luke 19, we not only get to see the love of Jesus Christ in action, but we also get to see the lasting effects of it. And in this particular story, we get to see the lasting effects as it relates to Zacchaeus's life and his vocation or his career. In the story of Zacchaeus, I think we actually get an incredibly moving blueprint of the importance of work. And it's all conveyed through this interaction Jesus has with Zacchaeus. Because of that, I think this story is significant, not just if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian, but regardless of where you might be in your own faith or uh, what you believe. Because the truth is, work, whatever that might be, is a central part of all of our lives. Whether we have our dream job, whether we're unemployed, or we're plugging away at a nine-to-five to make ends meet, whether our families are our focus, or we have certain passions or hobbies that we try to fulfill on the side of whatever we're doing. Sometimes getting up and giving up your Sunday morning feels like work to come to church. Work, whatever you want to call it, vocation or career or your hobbies, whatever that is, work is and always has been a part of our society and our lives. 
by looking at the story, I think we can get a sense of what work means in the bigger discussion of faith, in the bigger discussion of what it means to be a Christian. And this is important whether you've been a Christian your whole life or whether today is the first time you've been to church. I think there's something in this passage for all of us. So to talk about this, I want to briefly just look at a couple of points this morning. The first is uh, who Zacchaeus is when he meets Jesus. And the second is what Zacchaeus does after he meets Jesus. So first, who Zacchaeus is. And second, what he does after this meeting. So first, who he is, who Zacchaeus is. We're told almost right away, quite literally, who he is. Verse 2 of our passage, we're told that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. And we're also told in verse 3 that he was short. He was small in stature. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was rich, and he was noticeably short. Now, this is pretty descriptive. It's actually one of the more uh, descriptive profiles of an individual that we get in the Gospels. It's a clear illustration of who this man was. First, he's a chief tax collector. Now, to be a chief tax collector in the early first century uh, meant that Zacchaeus was working for the Roman government. And the Roman government in the first century was an oppressive, conquering government that uh, was well known for ruling its citizens imperialistically. And on top of that, if you were a tax collector, it likely meant that you were greedy, or that you were at least perceived to be greedy. You were probably known to take advantage of people. When you came around to collect an individual's taxes, you would probably charge them more than they were expected to pay, all so that you could keep the difference. So you worked for a greedy and oppressive government, and you were likely greedy and oppressive yourself. And to put it succinctly, you were hated. Everyone hated you because nobody trusted you and nobody trusted the government that you worked for. And on top of all of this, Zacchaeus wasn't just any tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. He had been doing this a while. He earned power and position within his ranks. This is who he was. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. We're told he was wealthy in the same breath that he was a tax collector. And I don't think we have to read uh, into this any more uh, than exactly what you might be thinking. Zacchaeus had a status of a rich man in his society, and it was undoubtedly con connected to his vocation in the tax-collecting business. In other words, his wealth, him being rich, was not disconnected from him being a tax collector. And then lastly, in addition to all of this, he was small in stature, according to these verses. Now, it might be easy to read this passage and kind of gloss over that or let your mind drift back to the Sunday school a children's song that calls Zacchaeus a wee little man. Uh, but I think it's actually a really important detail about who he was. This was a rich man uh, who most people avoided if they saw him. Nobody trusted him. And he was so short that the detail of his height makes it into a story about him. You probably feel incredibly alone because nobody trusts you. Everyone uh, despises you. And now you're also being identified for something that is completely and utterly out of your control. Very few of us like to be identified by our own physical bodies. And I think all of this is important because it leads to the next event in the story. We get this descriptive image of Zacchaeus, of who he was, and then what are we told? We're told that he came into this crowd in Jericho because he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus. 
And because he couldn't see through the crowd, he had to climb a tree just to get a peek. Now, what comes to mind when someone climbs a tree? You know, when I first think about it, often it's a picture of young innocence, a child discovering something new uh, with no real sense of failure and definitely no concern for what others think. But in reality, Zacchaeus is not a child. And if an adult climbs a tree, uh, if I climbed one of the sycamores on Wyandanche in Southampton, I promise you it wouldn't be a picture of young innocence. Uh, it wouldn't be very graceful. If you've ever climbed a tree as an adult, you know it's not always a pretty process. Your foot might slip. You might scratch yourself more than once. Your clothes might rip. You might even fall. It would be very uh, embarrassing. <laughs> Now consider all of that when you think about Zacchaeus, an adult, a rich government worker, climbing a tree in the midst of a large crowd. A crowd filled with people who did not like him. It would have been a humbling experience for sure, and many would have looked at him and thought, among other things, what in the world is he doing? Has he completely lost his mind? But none of that kept Zacchaeus from doing everything he could just to get a snapshot of Jesus. Zacchaeus likely struggled with pride. Uh, he likely struggled with his own personal view of, of his self, and climbing a tree would only draw more negative attention to him. But he didn't care. He didn't care. This is who Zacchaeus was. This is who he is in this passage. He was a man who society hated, a man who was wealthy, greedy, and because of all that, uh, was likely a man who probably had no community around him, no friends. And he probably couldn't even trust the people he worked with because of the government for which he worked. But how does Jesus treat this man? Now, Jesus could have pointed at Zacchaeus and laughed. He could have pointed at him and riled up the crowd to pull him down and get their revenge on him for taking advantage of them over the years. Uh, Jesus could have kept his head down as he passed through Jericho and pretended like he didn't even see this man climbing a tree. But he didn't do any of that. What does Jesus do? It's in verse 5. Jesus gets to the tree. He looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Hurry, come down. I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus just wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. And here is Jesus coming to him, acknowledging him and saying that he wants to stay with him in his house. And Zacchaeus hears him and he does what he says. Zacchaeus was actively pursuing Jesus. He didn't let his physical stature or his feelings of what other people thought of him keep him from knowing and seeing Jesus Christ. And Jesus welcomed him with open arms. Jesus looked at this tax collector, this man who society avoided, and says, come down, I want to spend time with you. Jesus said the words of the first song that we sang today, come and welcome, sinner, come. Zacchaeus looked for Jesus, and Jesus received him. But that's not the end of the story. If that was the end of the story, it would be nice, and everything uh, seems like it would be okay. That's how the children's song ends. Everything ends happy. But here, that's not what happens. Zacchaeus reaches out for Jesus. Jesus receives him with love and trust, something Zacchaeus probably hasn't felt for a long, long time. And how does the crowd respond? The crowd looks at what is happening, the crowd sees and hears what Jesus did and said, and they start to grumble. They start to mutter under their breath. It doesn't take long for them to look at what is happening and to say, He, Jesus, 
he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The crowd is scoffing at Jesus. How could Jesus Christ ask to go to this man's house? Zacchaeus was a sinner, and everyone knew that. Everyone in this crowd knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. Why in the world would Jesus even want to be associated with him, much less receive him joyfully and go have dinner with him and spend the night at his house? And then what happens? Zacchaeus hears this grumbling. He hears the crowd call him a sinner. And he turns to Jesus Christ. And we get to the second point this morning. I think we have a good sense of who Zacchaeus is, who he is when he meets Jesus. And now we see what happens, what Zacchaeus does after he meets Jesus. So Zacchaeus hears Jesus. He also hears the crowd. And what does he do? In verse 8, Zacchaeus is out of the tree. He looks at Jesus and he says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of everything, I restore it fourfold. Now what's so fascinating to me here is that Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus into his life. But instead, Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. And because of this love that Jesus has for him, love that far outpowers any emotions from the crowd, and love that far outpowers any wealth or status that Zacchaeus has, because of that love, Zacchaeus changes. And he says, Behold, Lord. Behold. Now, our translation of this verse, I don't think quite gets across the significance of what Zacchaeus is saying. We can read behold and not think much of it. It sounds kind of old school. We don't really talk like that anymore. Uh, but the original Greek word used here uh, could easily be translated simply as pay attention with an exclamation point at the end. Zacchaeus is so affected by Jesus Christ that he looks at him and he says, Jesus, you need to listen to me right now. And then we see the change. And usually this is where sermons on this passage go. And it certainly isn't wrong. We should focus on this change. We should focus on the new heart of this changed man, the new generosity that Zacchaeus embodies. The fact that he admits he took advantage of people and that he's going to do everything he can to reconcile those relationships. That is uh, incredibly significant. And it's not merely an admission or confession. This wealthy man gives away half of his possessions. And this is important. I don't think we can ever gloss over it, even if you've heard it before. It's an incredible example for ourselves when we go through our weekly prayers of confession together as a church. I think we should constantly remind ourselves of this radical change that follows our confessions and our repentance. This story in Luke 19, this story tells us of the power of God's grace. God's grace comes based on nothing that we've done or accomplished, and in fact, it comes in spite of what we've done or what we've accomplished. And when it comes, it changes us. The grace and love of Jesus Christ radically changed Zacchaeus. It changed his attitude, and it reordered his desires. But what else does it do? What else does this grace and love of Jesus Christ do? I don't think we can read this passage and just end with Zacchaeus giving away half of his possessions, and then that's the end of the story. I think it's safe to say, because we're not told otherwise, that this change, that this experience with Jesus completely transforms Zacchaeus's vocation, his profession, his job as a chief tax collector for the Roman Empire in the first century. 
Jesus Christ completely redefined Zacchaeus' career in the city of Jericho. Notice here, Zacchaeus didn't drop everything he was doing to become a traveling disciple of Jesus, which had happened in the past when Jesus met people. Zacchaeus didn't quit the tax-collecting profession to go to seminary and become a pastor. He became and remained a follower of Jesus in the very job that he was in. But his heart and his motives and his allegiances, they were all transformed and shifted toward the one who loved him like nobody else ever did. Zacchaeus remained a tax collector, but instead of cheating his neighbors, he's now giving away his possessions to his neighbors. A friend of mine uh, who's a pastor in Harlem once put it like this. He said, Zacchaeus would locate, Zacchaeus would find God's activity through his work in the world. There is no question here that Zacchaeus' salvation would lead to a concrete impact on the local economy in his neighborhood. One can only imagine Jericho would never be the same. One can only imagine Jericho would never be the same. The work of God in Zacchaeus' life was specifically found in his vocation, and it shows how important work is, because Zacchaeus' work didn't disappear after he met Jesus. His work remained, but the hopes and desires and goals of this work all changed. And those hopes and desires began to look more and more like the hopes and desires of Jesus Christ. I think of my own life. Uh, I haven't always worked in the church. Uh, for about 10 years before working for a Redeemer in New York City, uh, I worked in the radio world. I studied journalism in undergrad and worked for several radio stations before moving to New York nine years ago uh, to try and prove myself to the industry. I remembered when I first moved here how focused I was on my job and really nothing else. I didn't really have this changed heart like Zacchaeus, not yet. Uh, I mean, I, I think I did. I, I, I called myself a Christian. I think I understood this grace and love of Jesus Christ. I knew all of those things and I could say them out loud, uh, but that knowledge, that understanding never really affected or changed my job. It wasn't until I had to climb a tree uh, just to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, that I began to understand what it actually meant to be a Christian in my particular industry, to be transformed by the love of Jesus and to let that love transform the way that I approached my work. Uh, I've shared parts of this story here at Grace, but it's been a couple of years, so I'm going to share some of it again. Um, I was working at a radio station in New York uh, City, and in about two years I got the job that I was hoping for when I moved here. Uh, but the promotion came about through ownership changes. The original company that owned the station got bought by another company, and they did a, a mass firing of people. And because someone above me got fired, I got a promotion. Along with all of that came a new company, a new management, uh, and things, as far as I was concerned, uh, things were terrible. All of a sudden, I saw what I thought could have been a great job uh, get crushed because it didn't live up to my own expectations. I worked so hard, I believed I did everything I had to do to get that job, but in reality I got the job because someone else got fired. And then in the midst of all of that, the expectations I had for this job disappeared because it didn't live up to what I wanted. I moved to New York City to prove that I could make it, and all of a sudden I'm sitting in a job that forced me to think about layoffs and getting fired, and I'm hit with this sinking feeling that if I lost this job, I'd be ruined. I'd be 
embarrassed. I'd be miserable. And that's when I started to realize that my faith or my beliefs, what I had in my head, that knowledge, was all completely separate from my job. I'll never forget that feeling, thinking and realizing that this job is where I was putting all of my faith. This is where I was putting all of my trust. I wasn't climbing any tree because I wasn't even thinking about looking for Jesus. I was only focused on my job and nothing else. Whatever it took to succeed in that job, I would do. For a while, when I faced the utter brokenness of that job, uh, that situation I was in of the company I worked for, I tried finding rest and peace in myself, thinking I could control the situation, that I could make things better for myself if I just worked a little harder or if I did this or that. It wasn't until I began to slowly relinquish that control that I began seeing the guidance I needed wasn't actually within me or within my control anyway. It was within the relationship that I knew I had with God. In Matthew 11.28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that verse in itself can have so much hope for so many people in different situations. But if you read on in Matthew 11.29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this verse, Jesus is talking about work. His image of a yoke is directly tied to working the soil, farming the burden of the hardships of that in the early first century. And yet, what does he say? He says, look to him. Look to his work, to the work of his father, and you will find rest. He doesn't say work harder. He doesn't say grit your teeth and bear it. He doesn't say pull yourself up. He says look to him. When I began to grasp that and I began to realize, yes, it's okay for my work to have meaning, but it's not okay for my work to be the meaning of my life. That began to transform me. Now that is the story of Zacchaeus. We know who Zacchaeus is, and now we know how he changed. His faith grew. His love grew. And he stayed in Jericho. He stayed doing what he was doing before he ever met Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He looked to Jesus and he gave his burden to Jesus. And now all of a sudden his faith and his work would no longer be separated. He found God in his work. Jesus Christ met him right where he needed. Zacchaeus didn't just encounter Jesus on a Sunday morning, but Jesus Christ entered into his life completely as a friend and a leader and affected every single part of his life. Zacchaeus could say, just as we heard read to us in Hebrews 13, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And as we think about Zacchaeus finding God in his work, having the grace and love of Jesus cover him in all areas of his life, as we think about our own jobs, our own hopes and dreams, or our own responsibilities, let us not forget the last two verses uh, of this story. Because this is not just a story about Zacchaeus and Jesus, but it is a glimpse of the power of Christ. The power that we see in verses 9 and 10, and the life-changing power that we are offered right here, right now. Salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Jesus Christ came to this earth to save the lost, to save the people who society hated, the people who felt the most alone, the people who, even if they had all the money and status that they thought they needed, had nothing. Jesus Christ came to save the lost, and he did that with Zacchaeus by simply meeting him where he was and being his friend. No other God, no other value system can make a claim like this because the very same Jesus who was Zacchaeus' friend is the same Jesus who gave his life for all the sinners in the world, for you and for me. The crowd might have laughed and scoffed at Zacchaeus, but Jesus Christ, the God of the world, didn't. Jesus Christ looked at him and held out his hand and said, come down. In spite of all of Zacchaeus' flaws, in spite of the ways that Zacchaeus had treated his neighbors, in spite of all of this, when Zacchaeus climbed the tree just to see Jesus, the Jesus, this Jesus announced him as an adopted son of God, as a son of Abraham, just as we asked to be known in our prayer of confession, to be known as a children of God. It wasn't about how much money Zacchaeus had. It wasn't about how bad of a person Zacchaeus might have been. It was about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus' love didn't come because Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus changed, but Zacchaeus changed after Jesus' love came into his life. Jesus' love is the reason he changed. What is keeping you from climbing this tree? What is keeping you from giving your burden to Jesus? Regardless of where you're at in your faith today, what is keeping you from climbing that tree to get a peek at who this person, who this Jesus Christ is? This week, think about that question. Think about the story of Zacchaeus. Think about the interaction of Jesus with this chief tax collector. And think about the change in Zacchaeus' life and heart and how that change had to have rippled throughout the city and the economy of Jericho and throughout his profession as a tax collector, and even throughout the entire Roman Empire. Think about that as you think about what it will take to climb that tree, to let Jesus not just enter your life on a Sunday morning, but to affect every aspect of your life. What would it look like for this Jesus, this Jesus who came to earth, who died on a cross, who defeated death through his resurrection, and who is sitting now at the right hand of God his Father, this Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost, to seek and save you and me, what would it look like for this Jesus to cover every every area of your life, your work, your families, your time, every area? I think we get a glimpse of what would happen in this story of Zacchaeus. May we all one day be able to look to Jesus and say, Behold, Lord, Look at how your love, at how your grace has completely changed me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how even 2,000 years later we can continue learning from what you did on this earth. God, we thank you for the example you set for us. But more than that, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your death, your sacrifice, and for your resurrection, God. That we are able to be here today and gather together as a body and to say, God, come into our lives, change every aspect of our life. Lord, we ask that now. We thank you that we can even come to you and we can say that, Lord, as 
as adopted children in your family. Lord, we give this time to you. We commit all of these prayers to you. We pray them in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.